Section 38 of La Sommoire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Giessen. La Sommoire by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest A. Visitelli. Fifth part of Chapter 8. The others chuffed him, but he seemed so decided that they all accompanied him when he talked of going to fetch his tools from Père Colombe's. He took his bag from under the seat and laid it on the ground before him, whilst they had a final drink. But at one o'clock the party was still standing drinks. Then Coupeau, with a bored gesture, placed the tools back again under the seat. They were in his way. He could not get near the counter without stumbling against them. It was too absurd. He would go to Bourguignon's on the morrow. The other four, who were quarrelling about the question of salaries, were not at all surprised when the zinc worker, without any explanation, proposed a little stroll on the boulevard just to stretch their legs. They didn't go very far. They seemed to have nothing to say to each other out in the fresh air. Without even consulting each other with so much as a nudge, they slowly and instinctively ascended the Rue des Poissonniers, where they went to Françoise and had a glass of wine out of the bottle. Lantier pushed his comrades inside the private room at the back. It was a narrow place with only one table in it, and was separated from the shop by a dull glazed partition. He liked to do his drinking in private rooms, because it seemed more respectable. Didn't they like it here? It was as comfortable as being at home. You could even take a nap here without being embarrassed. He called for the newspaper, spread it out open before him, and looked through it, frowning the while. Coupeau and My Boots had commenced a game of piquet. Two bottles of wine and five glasses were scattered about the table. They emptied their glasses, then Lantier read out loud. A frightful crime has just spread consternation throughout the commune of Gaillon, department of Seine-et-Marne. A son has killed his father with blows from a spade in order to rob him of thirty sous. They all uttered a cry of horror. There was a fellow whom they would have taken great pleasure in seeing guillotined. No, the guillotine was not enough. He deserved to be cut into little pieces. The story of an infanticide equally aroused their indignation. But the hatter, highly moral, found excuses for the woman, putting all the wrong on the back of her husband. For after all, if some beast of a man had not put the wretched woman into the way of bleak poverty, she could not have drowned it in a water-closet. They were most delighted, though, by the exploit of a marquis, who, coming out of a dance-hall at two in the morning, had defended himself against an attack by three blackguards on the boulevard des Invalides. Without taking off his gloves, he had disposed of the first two villains by ramming his head into their stomachs, and then had marched the third one off to the police. What a man! Too bad he was a noble. "'Listen to this now,' continued Lantier. Here's some society news. A marriage is arranged between the eldest daughter of the Countess de Bretigny and the young Baron de Valencay, aide-de-camp to his majesty. The wedding trousseau will contain more than three hundred thousand francs worth of lace. What's that to us? interrupted Bibi the smoker. We don't want to know the colour of her mantle. 
The girl can have no end of lace. Nevertheless, she'll see the folly of loving. As Lantier seemed about to continue his reading, Salted Mouth, otherwise drink without thirst, took the newspaper from him and sat upon it, saying, Ah, oh, no, that's enough. This is all the paper is good for. Meanwhile, My Boots, who had been looking at his hand, triumphantly banged his fist down on the table. He scored ninety-three. I've got the revolution, he exulted. You're out of luck, comrade, the others told Coupeau. They ordered two fresh bottles. The glasses were filled up again as fast as they were emptied. The booze increased. Towards five o'clock it began to get disgusting, so much so that Lantier kept very quiet, thinking of how to give the others the slip. Brawling and throwing the wine about was no longer his style. Just then Coupeau stood up to make the drunkard's sign of the cross. Touching his head, he pronounced Montparnasse, then Menilmont, as he brought his hand to his right shoulder, Bagnolet giving himself a blow in the chest, and wound up by saying stewed rabbit three times as he hit himself in the pit of the stomach. Then the hatter took advantage of the clamour which greeted the performance of this feat, and quietly made for the door. His comrades did not even notice his departure. He had already had a pretty good dose, but once outside he shook himself and regained his self-possession, and he quietly made for the shop, where he told Gervaise that Coupeau was with some friends. Two days passed by. The zinc worker had not returned. He was reeling about the neighbourhood, but no one knew exactly where. Several persons, however, stated that they had seen him at Mother Bacquet's, at the Butterfly, and at the little old man with a cough. Only some said that he was alone, whilst others affirmed that he was in the company of seven or eight drunkards like himself. Gervaise shrugged her shoulders in a resigned sort of way. Mon Dieu! She just had to get used to it. She never ran about after her old man. She even went out of her way if she caught sight of him inside a wine-shop so as not to anger him. And she waited at home till he returned, listening at night-time to hear if he was snoring outside the door. He would sleep on a rubbish-heap, or on a seat, or in a piece of waste land, or across a gutter. On the morrow, after having only badly slept off his booze of the day before, he would start off again, knocking at the doors of all the consolation dealers, plunging afresh into a furious wandering, in the midst of nips of spirits, glasses of wine, losing his friends and then finding them again, going regular voyages from which he returned in a state of stupor, seeing the streets dance, the night fall and the day break, without any other thought than to drink and sleep off the effects wherever he happened to be. When in the latter state the world was ended so far as he was concerned, on the second day, however, Gervaise went to Pierre Colomb's L'Assommoir to find out something about him. He had been there another five times. They were unable to tell her anything more. All she could do was to take away his tools which he had left under a seat. In the evening, Lantier, seeing that the laundress seemed very worried, offered to take her to a music hall, just by way of passing a pleasant hour or two. She refused at first, for she was in no mood for laughing. Otherwise she would not have said no, for the hatter made the proposal in too straightforward a manner for her to feel any mistrust. He seemed to feel for her in quite a paternal way. 
Never before had Coupeau slept out two nights running, so that in spite of herself she would go every ten minutes to the door, with her iron in her hand, and look up and down the street to see if her old man was coming. It might be that Coupeau had broken a leg, or fallen under a wagon and been crushed, and that might be good riddance to bad rubbish. She saw no reason for cherishing in her heart any affection for a filthy character like him, but it was irritating all the same to have to wonder every night whether he would come in or not. When it got dark, Lantier again suggested the music hall, and this time she accepted. She decided it would be silly to deny herself a little pleasure when her husband had been out on the town for three days. If he wasn't coming in, then she might as well go out herself. Let the entire dump burn up if it felt like it. She might even put a torch to it herself. She was getting tired of the boring monotony of her present life. They ate their dinner quickly. Then, when she went off at eight o'clock, arm in arm with the hatter, Gervaise told Mother Coupeau and Nana to go to bed at once. The shop was shut, and the shutters up. She left by the door opening into the courtyard, and gave Madame Boche the key, asking her if her pig of a husband came home to have the kindness to put him to bed. The hatter was waiting for her under the big doorway, arrayed in his best, and whistling a tune. She had on her silk dress. They walked slowly along the pavement, keeping close to each other, lighted up by the glare from the shop windows, which showed them smiling and talking together in low voices. The music hall was in the boulevard de Rochechouart. It had originally been a little café, and had been enlarged by means of a kind of wooden shed erected in the courtyard. At the door a string of glass globes formed a luminous porch. Tall posters pasted on boards stood upon the ground close to the gutter. "'Here we are,' said Lantier. "'Tonight, first appearance of Mademoiselle Amanda, serio-comic.' Then he caught sight of Bibi the smoker, who was also reading the poster. Bibi had a black eye. Some punch he had run up against the day before. "'Well, where's Coupeau?' inquired the hatter, looking about. "'Have you, then, lost Coupeau?' "'Oh, long ago, since yesterday,' replied the other. "'There was a bit of a free-for-all on leaving Mother Backe's. "'I don't care for fisticuffs. "'We had a row, you know, with Mother Backe's pot-boy, "'because he wanted to make us pay for a quart twice over. "'Then I left. I went and had a bit of a snooze.' "'He was still yawning. "'He had slept eighteen hours at a stretch. "'He was, moreover, quite sobered, with a stupid look on his face.' and his jacket smothered with fluff, for he had no doubt tumbled into bed with his clothes on. "'And you don't know where my husband is, sir?' asked the laundress. "'Well, no, not a bit. It was five o'clock when we left Mother Backe's. That's all I know about it. Perhaps he went down the street. Yes, I fancy now I saw him go to the butterfly with a coachman. Oh, how stupid it is. Really, we deserve to be shot.' Lantier and Gervaise spent a very pleasant evening at the music hall. At eleven o'clock, when the place closed, they strolled home without hurrying themselves. The cold was quite sharp. People seemed to be in groups. Some of the girls were giggling in the darkness as their men pressed close to them. Lantier was humming one of Mademoiselle Amanda's songs. Gervaise, with her head spinning from too much drink, hummed the refrain with him. It had been very warm at the music hall, and the two drinks she had had, along with all the smoke, had upset her stomach a bit. 
She had been quite impressed with Mademoiselle Amanda. She wouldn't dare to appear in public wearing so little, but she had to admit the lady had lovely skin. Everyone's asleep, said Gervaise, after ringing three times without the Boches opening the door. At length the door opened, but inside the porch it was very dark, and when she knocked at the window of the concierge's room to ask for her key, the concierge, she was half asleep, pulled out some rigmarole which she could make nothing of at first. She eventually understood that Poisson, the policeman, had brought Coupeau home in a frightful state, and that the key was no doubt in the lock. "'The deuce,' murmured Lantier when they had entered. "'Whatever has he been up to here? The stench is abominable.' There was indeed a most powerful stench. As Chauvez went to look for matches, she stepped into something messy. After she succeeded in lighting a candle, a pretty sight met their eyes. Coupeau appeared to have disgorged his very insides. The bed was splattered all over, so was the carpet, and even the bureau had splashes on its sides. Besides that, he had fallen from the bed, where Poisson had probably thrown him, and was snoring on the floor in the midst of the filth, like a pig wallowing in the mire, exhaling his foul breath through his open mouth. His grey hair was straggling into the puddle around his head. "'Oh, the pig! the pig!' repeated Gervaise, indignant and exasperated. "'He's dirtied everything. Now a dog wouldn't have done that. Even a dead dog is cleaner.' They both hesitated to move, not knowing where to place their feet. Coupeau had never before come home and put the bedroom into such a shocking state. The sight was a blow to whatever affection his wife still had for him. Previously she had been forgiving and not seriously offended, even when he had been blind drunk. But this made her sick. It was just too much. She wouldn't have touched Coupeau for the world, and just the thought of this filthy bum touching her caused a repugnance such as she might have felt had she been required to sleep beside the corpse of someone who died from a terrible disease. "'Oh, I must get into that bed,' murmured she. I can't go and sleep in the street. I'll crawl into it foot first. She tried to step over the drunkard, but had to catch hold of a corner of the chest of drawers to save herself from slipping in the mess. Coupeau completely blocked the way to the bed. Then Lantier, who laughed to himself on seeing that she certainly could not sleep on her own pillow that night, took hold of her hand, saying in a low and angry voice, Gervaise, he is a pig. She understood what he meant and pulled her hand free. She sighed to herself and in her bewilderment addressed him familiarly, as in the old days. No, leave me alone, Auguste. Go to your own bed. I'll manage somehow to lie at the foot of the bed. Come, Gervaise, don't be foolish, resumed he. It's too abominable. You can't remain here. Come with me. He won't hear us. "'What are you afraid of?' "'No,' she replied firmly, shaking her head vigorously. Then, to show that she would remain where she was, she began to take off her clothes, throwing her silk dress over a chair. She was quickly in only her chemise and petticoat. Well, it was her own bed. She wanted to sleep in her own bed, and made two more attempts to reach a clean corner of the bed. Lantier, having no intention of giving up, whispered things to her. 
What a predicament she was in with a louse of a husband that prevented her from crawling under her own blankets and a low skunk behind her just waiting to take advantage of the situation to possess her again. She begged Lantier to be quiet. Turning toward the small room where Nana and Mother Coupeau slept, she listened anxiously. She could hear only steady breathing. Leave me alone, Auguste, she repeated. You'll wake them. Be sensible. Lantier didn't answer, but just smiled at her. Then he began to kiss her on the ear, just as in the old days. Gervaise felt like sobbing. Her strength deserted her. She felt a great buzzing in her ears. A violent tremor passed through her. She advanced another step forward, and she was again obliged to draw back. It was not possible. The disgust was too great. She felt on the verge of vomiting herself. Coupeau, overpowered by intoxication, lying as comfortably as though on a bed of down, was sleeping off his booze, without life in his limbs, and with his mouth all on one side. The whole street might have entered and laughed at him, without a hair of his body moving. "'Well, I can't help it,' she faltered. "'It's his own fault. Mon Dieu! He's forcing me out of my own bed. I'm no bed any longer.' No, I can't help it. It's his own fault. She was trembling, so she scarcely knew what she was doing. While Lantier was urging her into his room, Nana's face appeared at one of the glass panes in the door of the little room. The young girl, pale from sleep, had awakened and gotten out of bed quietly. She stared at her father lying in his vomit. Then she stood watching until her mother disappeared into Lantier's room. She watched with the intensity and the wide-open eyes of a vicious child, aflame with curiosity. End of chapter 8 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey